0: Welcome to the In the Scriptures podcast. The following Bible lesson was previously recorded. Hello everyone, Lance here, getting ready to bring you another Bible lesson. And uh, looking forward to continuing our study in Genesis. Last week we looked at Genesis 1, the very beginning of the Bible, uh, where it tells us in Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we went through and we looked at that creation account, going through the six days of creation and then the seventh day that God rested upon. And we, we see that in the end of all of that, in Genesis 1, in verse 31, that God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Uh, And then in the first few verses of chapter 2, we read about him resting. But ultimately, everything God created was very good. That's the way it's described. And that's where we want to pick up now with this lesson. So I'd invite you to take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 2. And we'll pick up in chapter 2 looking at uh, the story really of Adam and Eve, the uh, first man and woman and introduced to us in God's creation of mankind. In Genesis 2, I want to first read the first seven verses, and we'll make some comments about that, uh, and then work our way through the other sections uh, of this chapter. So Genesis 2, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done then god blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which god had created and made this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the lord god made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So this Genesis 2 is not a really a continuation of the creation account. But it's more of a a narrative telling us some details about it. And so it's a a blending in a sense going back to the sixth day of creation and taking a look in more detail of what happens here with with man. And in looking at this, uh, you you notice in verse 4 it says this is the history of the heavens and the earth. Uh, Your translation may say these are the, the generations of the heavens and the earth. And so it's, a, it's telling us, again, uh, about this further narrative, if you will. Not a second creation account, but just an expansion of the details that we're told here. You go back to verse 27 of chapter 1, it says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. That was the summary statement in regard to God's creation, on the sixth day. Now we're getting a little more expanded detail statement uh, of the history of this. So God formed man of the dust of the ground. Note in this that the plants and herbs were in the earth but it says they had not sprung forth and grown yet. So that's interesting kinda detail about creation here. That God had created the ability of all these things and the reality of all these things and yet uh, they weren't fully you know, coming to fruition yet, uh, growing, because they had not been watered and the ground had not been tilled, as he describes it here for us. And so that's going to be part of what man is to do, is to be able to till the earth and uh, to work the ground and then cause uh, creation to grow in that way. And so that description is given to us there. It's also interesting there that a mist goes up from the earth and waters the whole face of the the ground. So there's not rain as we know it at this time. And this is going to persist for some amount of time. And that's a big deal in leading up to thinking about Noah and the great flood. Okay, well, let's read the second part of this. So this is, again, just introductory, kind of reminding us, expanding on what has happened here, that God forms man of the dust of the ground. And it's interesting, too, that, you know, it's man being made from dust, and to dust he'll return. And We know that that's the case, even ourselves. It's also interesting there in verse 7 that, Man becomes a living being or a living soul. And so when God breathed this life into man, it was unique and different than that of the animals and any other living thing that he had created. A living soul. uh, Very different than the previous animal life or plant life or anything else. All right, so next, Adam, the first man, is going to be placed in the Garden of Eden. Let's read this. Uh, verses 8 through 17. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hedekal. It is one that goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So here in these verses, we have the first man placed in the garden of Eden. And he's commanded to eat of the trees of the garden, to tend and keep the garden. And an interesting point about this is that we often think about man having to work because of the result of his sin that we'll read about later on. But really, uh, man was intended to work right from the very beginning to tend and keep the garden that God placed him in. Many have speculated about the location of the Garden of Eden and we're given some information here in Genesis 2 as it's said to be in in the region the area of these four rivers and the the rivers are listed Pison, Gihon, Hadekel or the Tigris River is another name for that river and the Euphrates River and of these rivers there are two that are well known the Hadekel and Euphrates the other two the Pison and uh, the Gihon are not known as far as where they exactly are. Uh, there are two ancient waterways um, in southern Mesopotamia that were called uh, Pisanu and Gihana. and you know based on just their names and the, the region in which they're recognized in, uh, and the reference to the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers that were in the same area, that would seem to give the indication that the Garden of Eden was located somewhere in southern Mesopotamia. And you can read about that uh, by Alfred Horth in Archaeology of the Old Testament, page 187. That's a reference to his work there um, in particular. But... There are many others who have speculated about it, and many of the same conclusions will be drawn that somewhere in southern Mesopotamia may be where the original Garden of Eden was located. Because of the events that are going to transpire that we'll continue to look at, uh, man is ultimately going to be blocked out of that exact area by the work of God. And so there's no reason for us to be... Uh, worried about it too much or seeking after it because as far as man is concerned now, that doesn't exist anymore. But again, man was placed there in the garden to dress and to keep it. God had provided everything that man needed, and um, he was there where he could eat of everything uh, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there was one command, if you will, that, uh, A shall not command given to man in the very beginning of things. And that was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the warning there, the consequence in verse 17, is that if you eat of it, you'll surely die in verse 17. The opposite of that would be that he would surely live And so that's something for us to consider as we keep moving forward again in this study. Well, the next section, verses 18 through roughly verse 25, is going to talk about the creation of the first woman and how that comes about. Again, this is an expanded narrative of God's ultimate creation in the the six days of creation. All right, Genesis 2, beginning in verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man... "...should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him." Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him." And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man." Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So very interesting part of the account here given to us, the history of things as it would happen, that the woman would be created as a helper for Adam. And in this, there's a number of things that kind of jump out at us. For one, God recognized that it was not good for man to be alone, and it was obviously clear throughout creation uh, that Adam wasn't going to find the companionship that he needed uh, out of all the other animals that God had created. It's interesting, too, that Adam named the animals, and that there was this kind of joint effort between Adam and God in that sense. It's interesting, too, that in verse 21, God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, the first uh, kind of medical procedure, if you will, Uh, a a, a special, uh, miraculous medical procedure performed by God. He took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place, and then he took that and created woman for man and brings her to Adam. And Adam, uh, the first thing then that we see him actually saying is recorded there in verse 23 when he said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so an appreciation is there from Adam for the woman that God has created for him. Remember, we talked about Moses being the author of Genesis. That seems to be completely accepted throughout the Scripture and recognized. And as Moses is giving us this history of the creation account, it's very interesting what Moses says next in verse 24. And he makes this statement after what Adam has said about woman being taken from man and her being created here as the helper uh, for man. He says in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is God's establishment of marriage, of a family, of a home, and of the design for mankind to be able to sustain itself through Family and home, and the bearing of children, man and woman. Our world has gone to great lengths to stray away and deviate in every possible way away from what God created. And I know there are many things to consider and many issues to deal with, and I certainly can't deal with all of them here in this one sitting. But what, what I really want to call each of you to think about as we study this very important portion of God's Word is the, the, the very real reality that in our existence we cannot deny that we are male and female and that we are born male or female and that that is according to the plan of god that is the nature that god gave us that god put into place and that in order for man to continue to exist via procreation and offspring it requires that there be a male and a female. And as much as man wants to deviate from that God-established institution, that God-established divine nature in that sense, as much as man wants to deviate away from it, there is no denying the truth and the ultimate reality of male and female. Let alone from the fact that God condemns homosexuality, sodomy practices, men leaving the natural use of the woman to be with other men or women, the natural use of the man to be with other women, Our culture has embraced all of those alternate lifestyles, as they may be called. But let's recognize it for what it is in the simplest of forms. It is a deviation from how we are created. God created male and female. And therefore, as we read there in verse 24, "...a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." The only way that we can fulfill what God intended is to recognize our God-given nature, male and female. Another key thing to recognize here in this text is verse 25 when the writer Moses points out to us that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. If you and I found ourselves naked, even uh, if it was with our, our spouse in a public setting, you know we wouldn't expect to be without clothing. But the point here is that Adam and Eve at this time, the man and the woman, they had no knowledge, no understanding of any kind of a shame, of any kind of reason to worry about a shame of nakedness or anything else. They were completely innocent. And that's fascinating and almost mind-boggling for you and I to think about today because we know good and evil and recognize a need for having a sense of shame very quickly in our lives. Well, that's coming here in chapter 3, but we're not there yet. So let's end this lesson here at the end of chapter 2. Man has been formed out of the dust of the ground, the breath of life breathed into him, placed in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. God has created a helper comparable to him, the woman out of the rib of his own flesh and Adam has recognized that this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and therefore we have the establishment of marriage a man and a woman together becoming one flesh what's coming up next in chapter 3 will change everything and set the course for the saving and redeeming plan of God because of man's mistakes, and I look forward to being able to spend time with you looking at Genesis chapter 3. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we humbly bow before you. We're thankful that we can open your Word, that we can study it and learn, to see how wonderful it is to be a part of your creation, to gain knowledge and respect for your original plan your perfect plan for mankind Father help us to strive to bend our own selfish will to be in submission to yours and to recognize you as our God our Father our Creator To recognize you as the one who sustains and provides for our very life. To also recognize the reality of us standing before you in judgment. Father, we pray that heaven may be our home. That you'll find us faithful and acceptable. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for the grace and mercy that you have shown to us in sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ to die on the cross of Calvary in our place. We're thankful to know that He rose from the dead to help build our belief and our faith in You, our trust in You, to know that You have the power to raise us as well, to give us a resurrected, eternal life. Father, help us place our full faith and trust in You to always be looking to Jesus be following Him as true disciples of His, to serve You acceptably in Your kingdom, that Your church may be glorified, that Your name may be glorified in all of the earth. We beg Your mercy and Your forgiveness, knowing we stumble, we make mistakes. We pray that You may have mercy on us and forgive us, help us have repentant hearts to turn away from those things and to do better. Father, we love You. We adore You. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen.